and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and this is our Sunday Scares edition. This episode is devoted to director Alex Noyer and a discussion of his film, Sound of Violence, a new horror film premiering at South by Southwest. And because of my particular interest in horror and disability and where the two meet, I am fascinated by your film. And I was so excited to be able to talk to you. So thank you. Thank you. And I I mean, our our interaction on Clubhouse the other day was wonderful. And I really appreciate all you said. I hope the film delivered. Oh, absolutely. And what I love about this film, first of all, not only does it redefine the phrase killer beats, but (laughs) it also is a girl who experiences trauma and then she looks for healing through art, but art that happens to also kill other people. (laughs) And so much of this film is about the killer's creative process. So I, I have to ask you, do you see the creation of art as ultimately a destructive act? I do. And, and, and it's funny because create, creating, I mean, my, my father's a painter and I also got to hang out with all sorts of artists throughout my life. I got to work with many of them. I started by making documentary about art and whether it is a painter who breaks the white canvas to create something or the inherent violence of music. And we talk about beats and beats are violent instruments. I do think that there's a destructive nature. Now, obviously, destructive, and I don't mean to be philosophical about it, but destruction is not necessarily the disappearance of something, but rather the changing its shape into something different and taking its pieces apart to create potentially something that resembles a whole different outcome. And for me, passion is destructive. Uh, and, and passion is destructive. And this is why, you know, in olden days, they were, they were shunning passion, whether it was, they were talking about magic, they were talking about, about sexual identity, they were talking about all those things. And that was frowned upon. And today we celebrate it and it's amazing. And today we can tell a story like this one and embrace this sort of, this process of change in storytelling. And one of the things that for me was so amazing about this film is that you don't shy away from taking the killer's point of view. You don't shy away from the fact that you have a killer who is a woman, who is black, who is disabled, who is marginalized in so many different ways. But I wondered, what was your way into the world of Alexis, the killer with the hearing disabilities, sensitivities, synesthesia, homicidal tendencies? All of this, how did you break into her world? I, so from her identity, the way I, you know, wrote the story, I kind of followed my, my trail of thought and the, the images I saw in my head, first and foremost. But then when you're writing a story about somebody who has those traits that you're not sharing, the only way to write this is with an open mind and write everything as a question. So I'm writing every part of this story, not telling the audience what I perceive, but asking, asking how, how, and how. This is why it was so important for me to do research to address, for example, hearing loss. Hearing loss is a very, it's not the same thing as deafness. It's not the same thing. It's different. And we consulted to make sure that we knew that, that we knew what that meant. A, A child who had lost her hearing in an accident 
would not behave the same way as a child who was born deaf. And in fact, we cannot say that Alexis is deaf because that's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we learned. After writing the, the first draft, I just wanted to learn and to be sure that if I'm going to take on such an identity in my story and embrace it, I will do it by surrounding myself by people who live those truths and surrounding myself by people who understand those truths and teach me how to tell that story authentically. You know, authenticity, like diversity and representation in movies, not just genre movies, but in general, is something that we are on a path, hopefully, to do better. Mm -hmm. But it's still something that needs to be done, hopefully with humility and understanding, and by also not hesitating to go and ask those questions. Because I can't make assumptions about those things. Yeah, I could make an assumption and get it right. But if I get it wrong, then my whole story falls apart because it's not a truth. It's, you know, it's not authentic. I can follow the artistic journey because, as I said, I'm, I come from, a, from you know, generations of artists and I hang out with artists and I've been you know, in that world that arguably I'm an artist. But that's my truth. Now, all the other part of that character, um, uh, being black, being gay, being all that, I, I'm not the one who's going to make the, atten- the assumptions about what it's like. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very conscious that my script was not finished till we performed it, until we edited it, until I spent the time when we shot the, the family scene, for example, we had, we, we, we had a consultant on, on, on scene to make sure that everything was accurate. Okay, what, you know, young Alexis would be speaking and yeah. signing... And, but not signing fluently. It would, it would have to be. And it would have to match the same way as her mother would not have had the long experience of having to, to cope with it. So the same way. So those imperfections were intentional. I have to tell you that specific scene, the second I saw that scene and how the sight lines played within that scene and how accurate they were to the way that, you know, I would have understood the hearing to have occurred within that family unit. I know not everybody who watches this film will appreciate that, but to me, as part of the hard of hearing community, that was stunning representation, and that immediately made me feel very seen. I love that in a year where we have fantastic representation of equal representation of serial killers, we've also got a Best Picture nomination about a heavy metal drummer who's also losing his hearing. And it's wonderful to see these two films kind of juxtaposed together. Uh, you know, Sound of Violence was ready when Sound of Metal came out. And, okay, the, the, akin, uh, the akin titles is interesting, of course, but we also, the fact that we're both dealing with hearing loss and the similarities with the way we're dealing with it made me feel that, that hopefully we got some of it right and that, that, we, that we were that we did the same kind of research and, uh, and, and it's complete different storylines of, of, of everything, but it was important because uh, I, I, the worst thing for me would be to, to have this movie fall on, on being fake, being, being seen as a, as a marginalization or a caricature mm-hmm. because we have, you know, all those elements that are very sort of extreme with the murders and the gruesome and such. That's where the, exacerbation of reality lays the rest we had to get right and the same way with the identity of the character jasmine um who is obviously in a same-sex relationship lives that truth so she also brought that authenticity to the character 
along with all of her identity traits. And that's important because I would not in my casting process go inauthentic because it would ultimately hurt the film. And it's very character driven as opposed to being identity driven. And that is so important to me. And that's something that both films have in common. They both have impressive sound design and impressive worlds of sound that they're building, but they also ultimately come from the characters as opposed to some notion of, I'm going to portray deaf person, watch this deaf person walk, watch this person lose their hearing, which you do see in other films. I, I just didn't want to make a, a, a very, I don't want to tell people what it's like. Yeah. That's yeah. not for me to tell. Yeah. Because I'm me, and I don't. I, if I'm telling people what it's like to be Alexis, I'm letting Alexis down. And when I'm letting the story, and you know, from youth all the way up to be as authentic as I can get it, I'm learning. I learned through through making this film, and this is interesting to go about creating a film while learning about something. Is it's incredibly rewarding because I come out of it with a new perception, which is still from outside in, but at least your very kind words uh, means that I got it right. And I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to keep that in my work going forward. I really hope so. And one of the things that I also really appreciated was how much her musical expression relies on the percussive elements of rhythm, which for people in the deaf and hard of hearing community, that's very accurate in terms of representation of the expression of music is very percussive. Typically, that's how you communicate with music in some sense. And so I love the musicality of the murders. And I'll never look at a DJ in the same way ever again after this movie. I think I think um, I'm hoping that the instruments are going to be I'm going to are going to be seen as different than just audio experiments. They are tools of, of a deeper nature. And, um, and I'm hoping that the relationship that the audience is going to be having with those instruments is a little apprehensive. But um, <laughs> um, it, it's funny how, how um, a lot of the innocuous feeling that we have with instruments that we don't play. I'm not a musician. And creating a sound, it, it, was, it was fun to explore instruments and work with musicians to create a music identity where we shifted the role of what is a weapon and what is the sound. What is the music and what is the weapon? You know, the, the flesh sounds are the music and the instruments and the music are the weapon and the rhythm, the rhythm. And also when we talk about the relationship to uh, beats for a child who has lost hearing, the hand on the speaker, the vibration. Yep. Vibration is a great example of the destructive nature of a creation because vibration is it changes the shapes of things when alexis experiences music through her hands in the car to reconnect with her family at that moment and in also in her own moment when she escapes to her room and she has her hands on the on the speakers i wanted to to show to have a glimpse into what is her world and that part i, I was hoping that after she regained her hearing that her world dimension would still be there and this is where the synesthesia allowed us to, to still give a framework to her world, her moment, her truth being, you know, whether being consistent from after losing her hearing and after regaining it. And that way that you access her sensitivities and her 
artistic way of processing her trauma and her catharsis and all of this, I think is just such a stunning way to look at it. And I also just want to say it's so rare that you see invisible disabilities of any kind represented on screen. And especially when you're dealing with something as difficult to represent as synesthesia. I don't know that I've ever seen synesthesia displayed on screen ever, which is something that actually affects several people I know. And I I find that startling. Synesthesia is fascinating. It's an ability for me. It's it's the idea of, of experiencing sound in a new dimension is something that is just incredibly fascinating. So when I researched it, I I discovered painters and and musicians with synesthesia and the way they described it. And actually, when I had people who have synesthesia see what we projected to be a synesthetic experience, because there's a vast range of synesthetic experiences, and telling us, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate, actually. That's pretty close to what I'm experiencing. You know, it was interesting because there's a bit of freedom we had with synesthesia due to the fact that Sometimes it's color, sometimes it's light, sometimes it's uh, vibration as well. There's, a, there's some synesthesia, it's blurs. Some, so we had, we had a certain freedom to, to kind of manifest it how we saw it. But again, it still needed to, to feel like we were in her head experiencing it. Um, and the work of, of our cinematographer, Daphne, really went a long way with that because we played with lighting behind and around her and then added the, the, the digital enhancements to create the synesthesia. But without the, the connection of the background and the front, again, it would feel layer on top rather than envir- not like an immersive experience that it needs to be. Because if we don't take Alexis into her world, the audience will not feel that they live with her. Mm. And we can't create empathy if, if, they're not, if we don't have this rapprochement between the audience and Alexis. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful palette that you're using to create that. And the way that you envision sound within that too, and, and within the computer program as well, like I saw the same graphical representations that I thought were really fascinating. But I do want to ask you as just kind of a final quick question, I need to know what your recommendations are for killer beats that were the playlist to end all playlists that you put with this movie? Or um, did you have a playlist in your head as you were working through this movie? We did. We did. We, uh, we, we went from Massive Attack, Ellie Golan, to uh, Aphex Twin, Prodigy. Um, yeah, we, we went a lot in Trip Hop. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, Massive Attack and, and uh, FX Twin were perhaps the two main uh, influences. It's very interesting to me because her music is so interesting and experimental and the reactions, of course, are like exactly what you hope you never get at a film festival when she plays her music in class. But I know that's not going to be the audience's reaction at South by Southwest. And well, I know you know, already. It's interesting. We have today. Today is a big day where, where you know, this movie is going to is going to hopefully if it does anything is that if people are not going to like it. They, I want them to get angry at it. I'd rather that, I just don't want to leave them emotionless. I'm hoping that most people are going to be inspired by it. I'm hoping that most people are going to really enjoy their artistic journey and, and stay with Alexis. I know the end is going to divide a lot of people. It's going to, it's going to, I can tell you that, for example, when I spoke to James the first time and, and we were bouncing ideas, well, he said to me that he was mad at me for the ending. 
And, and it was interesting because I, I hope that we're going to have reactions like that. And now overall, I hope everybody loves the movie and, and are inspired by it. And as I said, I'm, I'm the father of two daughters and, I, and they're too young right now to watch it. But when they watch it later, I hope they feel empowered not to become killers, but to be empowered to follow their truth and be creators and to follow their creative drive. But with, with that, there can be a, a part of rejection inherent to the creative drive. And, and I'm okay with it. If somebody's passionately against this movie and, 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 and has a visceral reaction, I'll take it too. Again, hoping majority doesn't, but, but uh, <laughs> I'll accept uh, rejection too. Um, I just don't want to leave people emotionless. And, and I think the, the, the end is going gonna, is gonna to hopefully galvanize emotion as far as I can. I think it definitely will push emotion as far as you possibly can. I think you've done a good job of that. And uh, I don't think you're going to see very many listless theater goers in their seats at the end of this film. So. That would be, that, that, that's like, <laughs> isn't, there, isn't it the worst thing in the world to have a, any form of art, a painting, a, a piece of music or a movie leaving you... <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the worst thing because even if something is terrible, it is inspiring me to think, oh, I can definitely do better than this. Yeah. No matter what, it, it is somehow making me think critically about what I can do in some sense Thanks to so. fix it. But if it's just bland, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, artists thrive on, on, on human reactions for good reason. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for this wonderful interview. I really appreciate it, Alex. And I'll see you around on Clubhouse. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for your wonderful question. And I can't wait to interact again on Clubhouse. Take care. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, Take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money, we want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. <laughs>